If you have your Bibles, open with me to Galatians in Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, we're going to continue going through um, that thought of sanctification, the, the basis for sanctification, and, and really what that is, is means walking in the Spirit or to walk in the Spirit. And that's what's important to do, is that each of us walk in the Spirit. We're so assured sometimes that, that we're walking in the Spirit, and yet there can be anger coming out, there can be lust coming out, envy, jealousy. And that's not walking in the spirit. That's walking what we call in the flesh. Now, as we look today, as we talked about sanctification, this is just a continuing of, of, of really what we started last week. We're gonna learn that there are deeds of the flesh and there are again these again, the fruits of the Spirit. And that's what we're gonna look at. This is, again, these deeds of the flesh are going to, number one, help us see where we're at in our walk. Are we in the place that God would have us be? Are we in the place that we want to be? Now, it says those, and we'll look at it later on, those who practice such things, those who habitually do such things will not enter the kingdom of God. Now, what that means is that you and I may not necessarily slip on a banana peel, but we may have a moment of backsliding, a moment where we let the anger get the best of us. It's not talking about that time here, that time there, but it's a lifestyle habitually doing this, continuing in these things. As you grow in the love and grace of Jesus Christ, you'll find that these things, you're learning to put off the deeds of the flesh and put on the things of the spirit. You'll learn to seek God and and the things that are important to him. So it's not a passage about condemnation that sometimes people say, oh, I, I don't want to hear it. Because oftentimes people pick and choose what they want to read. But we need the whole counsel of God's word. So, so you're going to see that, you know, maybe you're in this place or you've been in this place. And, and yet it doesn't mean you're not safe and secure in Christ. It means that God wants you to grow and God wants you to mature. And he's just giving you a chance to reflect upon these things. Well, we're looking again at the basics of sanctification. Now, the works of the flesh, they're, they're manifests. And I'm just gonna kind of, kind of give you a survey and then we'll look at it in detail. Well, he calls it adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, envying and murder and drunkenness and reveling. And notice what it says in such like, actually I don't have it on the screen, forgive me. Such like, meaning that these that we're gonna see, and I'm going to combine from the King James and the New American Standard because they both come from two different texts. They'll, they'll reiterate, say it a little differently, but there's about 17 of these deeds of the flesh. But when it adds those words such like, that means there's many more of these. This is an exhaustive list. This is just kind of giving us a chance to kind of look at those who practice such things, those that fall in this rut. You'll see those other things as you go along. He says, I don't need to list every one of them. Once you recognize these, then you know where you're at. And then you can make that adjustment. But he goes on, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith and meekness and temperance. Now I want to bring a point out again. Notice the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. It's singular. I know there's going to be people in different camps but the fruit of the spirit is love. They'll know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. All of the things that follow love are descriptions of what love looks like. So again, this is like an indicator, a litmus test. How am I doing? Now, let's be honest, sometimes I'm not doing so good. Do you understand? No, you shouldn't understand what I know, but you know individually yourself, sometimes we don't always live up to that standard. 
and that's where we're thankful that God sees us just as we've never sinned and that we're his workmanship and he'll finish that workmanship. But our part becomes that we confess that sin and we give it over to him and we allow him to work in us. So the first question I really want to think about is, uh, again, is how do we live the spirit-filled life? Isn't that the the $100,000 question? I mean, almost everyone is, how do I I live it? How do I deal with this so I can live really in freedom, a life full of joy? I can serve God and and just be a blessing to all. But, But how do I do it? Well, what it means is that I have to begin by embracing the desires, understand, the desires of the Spirit. See, there's this contrast we're going to see in the deeds of the flesh to the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. I need not to to dwell upon these deeds. I need to use these to to recognize, to measure my walk. But I really need to focus on those things that are really important, those things that glorify God. Those things really, when I see them in someone, I'm seeing Christ in them. I need to seek after those things. I need to embrace them. And then this is the best part, and it's a hard part. It's really let God take care of the rest. You really, when Satan has a plan for you and me, let God take care of it. Don't be possessed with demons. Say, I rebuke you. I do this. I do. You know, stay focused on Jesus. Let Jesus do the work. The battle is the Lord's. If I'm so focused upon really Jesus, I have no time for the deeds of the flesh. I have no time for Satan. Now it's true, there's a spiritual battle going on even to get you here to church. I understand that. But our focus needs to be upon Jesus and those things that are honoring and pleasing to him and and let God really worry about the rest. I don't think God worries, but you know what I mean, right? Because he's in sovereign control. And as, as the enemy attacks know that God's going to use it for good in your lives. That you're going to be stronger. You're going to be wiser. You're going to recognize again the schemes of the devil. Then you'll be able to help someone else. You'll be able to encourage someone else. Look with me in our text today. In Galatians 5, verse 16 and 17, I want to read, but I say to you, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. There's a consequences if you do not set your eyes upon the spirit. If you're not walking in the spirit, You're going to be walking in the flesh. There's this battle going on. But he simply says, look, if you walk in the Spirit, you're not going to fulfill the desires of the flesh. That's how simple. What that means is when temptation is knocking on your door and it does knock on your door, doesn't it? Just turn. Take a step. Every step that he gives you, he will give you the strength if you're relying upon him. Now, this is in contrast, again, to the Judaizers are saying, well, you need to have circumcision, you need to do this, you need to keep the feast. No, no, he's saying, no, all you need to do is turn to Jesus. So simple, isn't it? But is it hard? Yeah, because our flesh gets in the way. Well, again, John 15, look at verses 1 and 2. Again, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, so that it may bear more fruit. Verse 4 says, Abide in me, and I in you, and the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. Now I'm going to stop there just for a second. If you read John 15, the beginning, it's all about fruit production. It is not about 
salvation. When you're looking at a passage, you want to understand the context of the passage. It is not about salvation. It is about fruit, producing fruit. Now go back with me again to verse 2. John 15, verse 2, and it says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, our English translation doesn't really explain that clearly, and I want to kind of give you an idea of what it's saying. It, if you go to Strong's, you can see it actually means lift up. Not take away, but lift up. And I want to bring the, the picture as you go and study this passage later on. That's not the passage today, but I want you to understand the heart of God. This is so, so very important. Now, in Israel, when they would grow grapes, grapes would sprawl all over the ground. And the mud would get upon, the mud would cover the leaves. And the light couldn't get in, absorb the nutrients, the light, and again, to produce good grapes. So what they would do is not take it away, but what they do is they lift up those branches and they would set a rock underneath it and the branch now would be popped up and they would clean those leaves. And as you go through that passage, you're going to see it. That's really what happens. When you fall in the mud, when you walk in these deeds of the flesh as a believer, what he does, God lifts you up and sets you on the rock. The rock is a picture of what? Christ he doesn't whack you. There's so many today looking as, as God's looking to strike you, looking to find fault with you. No, no. Our God is one that lifts you up and he lifts you up and sets you up on Christ. You're cleansed and you're washed by the water of the word. And then there will be fruit. Now, he's talking about in this passage, again, fruit, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser and every branch in me. Notice in me, he's talking about believers that does not bear fruit, he takes away or he lifts up, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, okay? He's not talking about pruning in a sense, but really as you go on the passage, you'll see that they're already clean, and the idea he's lifting up to produce fruit, because that's what God desires in your life, fruit. What is that fruit? What is the fruit? Love. God's desire is to produce love in you. He pours his love in our heart, but, but it's to be produced. It's to, to, to grow. And you know what fruit has? Seed in it. Don't you love that? You open up a piece of fruit and it's fragrant, smells good, and, and, and then inside there's seed that produces more fruit or can produce more fruit. And God wants you to produce more fruit for the kingdom. Now this is not meaning converts that's something that we do. We, we share that gospel. We take out the good news. But what God desires more than anything else is love. To produce love in you and your, your relationships to affect others. To be a witness. To be the salt. To be the light. Look with me at verse 8. Now my father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit so as to prove that you are my disciples. The fruit shows that you're really disciples of Christ. This love is that mark of every believer. I need to ask the question, do, do people see me as loving? Loving God, first of all, above all things. Second, loving my neighbor as myself. Esteeming others higher than myself. That's the mark of a Christian. So what we're gonna see is this, this contrast again between the works of and the fruit, there, there's a clash going on. There's a battle going on. Well, let's look at verses 19 through 21, the works of the flesh. Now, the deeds of the flesh, notice they're evident, they're obvious, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, I which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's in your text. That list is tiring. Now, anyone that this is their lifestyle, I don't want to be around. You know what I mean? 
I don't want to be around an angry person because sure enough, it's going to come down upon me. You ever notice that? I don't want to be around a deceitful person because man, he's going to deceive me. And I personally want to be the person that people want to be around that when I come in that room, that people are not going, oh, but people are saying, you know what? Ah, that we're a blessing. We are to bring the blessing of Jesus Christ to a world that doesn't know him. Again, Galatians 16, as I mentioned, 5.16 says, but I, but I say to you, walk in the spirit. You will not carry the desire of this flesh. So the key of being an overcomer in this case is, is really walking in the spirit. It means that I still am in this life, even though I've been born again, I have this old nature here, I'm still capable of sin. You're still capable of sin. You still have this sinful nature until the day you die. You're still capable of doing the same things you did before you're born again. And when you expect it the least, your flesh will pop its head up. You say, where did that come from? Where did those words come from? I haven't said that in 10 years, 15 years. I haven't thought that. But that capacity is in each of us. And that's very important to, to recognize and know that that capacity is within me. And that's why I need to turn to Jesus and I need to stay focused in the spirit and not yield to any of these things. I need to begin to set up walls and boundaries and safeguards that I don't go back and do the things and go the places and hang out with those same people that I used to hang out with. Now, when a person who is a believer, those that are in Christ are born again, and they do such things, not habitually, this is what we call, the scripture calls, again, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, a carnal believer. A carnal believer. I, I don't like that term, but that, it means it's a, it's a fleshly believer. They're, they're led by their fleshly desires instead of led by the Spirit. So there are times in your life that you may be acting carnal, fleshly. Don't tell your wife, don't tell your husband that, that they're acting that way. But that's the fact. And we need to be a person who is in the Spirit. And when a person is walking in that carnality, what they're doing is walking as the world walks. That's why the church sometimes says, well, I can't tell, you know, the world says, I can't tell the difference. The church, there's no difference in them and us. Is, is that true of you or, or me? I pray not. This is why we examine these things. Where's my lifestyle? How do I view these things? Do I watch movies or things that would, would only encourage me to do more of these things to, to react in this way? Well, the last is, it's roughly 17 typical sins. Again, they're just categories. And there's actually four major categories they fall in. Well, the first one is in verse 19. We see sexual sins, sexual sins. Well, again, it, it lists adultery as that first one or immorality or fornication. Well, let's look at the word immorality. And again, I'm, I'm pulling the King James together and I'm pulling the New American Standard together. Though I study in New American Standard, there's some things that are brought out in one that don't come out in the other. Well, the first thing I want to really call your attention to is, is really immorality, which is the same as adultery. It's a sexual sin. This is the first thing that he wants to address. It's not used, uh, it is used, I should say, in the case of a prostitute, a, a harlot, or a husband or a wife that is unfaithful in their home. There's also another case that's even worse, in my opinion, that's spiritual adultery, where we abandon the Lord Jesus Christ and we worship another God. We deny him and choose the world. Pornography would also fit in this in many cases too. Another one is, is impurity or moral uncleanness. So this is considered in this, this case, sensuality. Another one would be, again, just fornication, which covers all kinds of areas. 
we don't need to exhaustively do these because you know these areas. Those that are older know that these were even taught in school, even in a period of time for some of us, the Ten Commandments were hung up in not only churches, but also in the schools, in public places, and we've learned these things. Well, there's religious sins. There's two sided that I want to call your attention to. The first one is idolatry. And this is very prevalent in that first century. It involved really the, the worship of pagan gods, pagan deities. You know, people were serving demons. See, they're really not another god. They're, they're demons. Either you're worshiping God or you're worshiping demons. Some are worshiping God, worshiping the creator, and some are worshiping the creation. And it's demonic behind the scenes what falls. They're serving demons in fear and bondage when they could know the true God. Romans chapter one goes into the details of really that where God turns them over to a, a reprobate mind that doesn't work. And how sad. The next one I want to call your attention to is really sorcery. Interesting because this really embraces astrology. I remember when I was young, I used to read my horoscope. And I used to think, oh, this is going to come true. But it's every form. Every form of astrology. See, God has written in the heavens. In fact, in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sign, again, the star at Jesus' time. There is, supernaturally, there is a message in the heavens that reveal Jesus Christ. And everything that Jesus Christ or everything that God has done, Satan counterfeits. Astrology is demonic is satanic, and, and people get angry at it, but that's what the Bible says. So if they think they're angry at me, they're really angry at what God says in his word, and it's something that we should not embrace. In fact, it's where we get our word pharmacy from. It goes on even to pharmacia, interestingly, which brings into drugs and visions and illusions and trances and hypnosis and and so many more things. These are the deeds of the flesh. And sometimes within the church, people practice such things, approve of such things. All we need to do is seek him and ask him with an open teachable spirit and he'll speak. He'll guide you clearly, lead you through step by step, grant you the favor, the direction, and that right time. But more than that, there's Attitude sins, that's in verse 20. Verse B in 21, there's eight of them. Well, notice the first one is imitaries or hatred. This is personal animosities. It's a dislike for people rather than things. It's a type of anger that really wishes, this is important, that someone was dead. This is what Jesus was talking. If, if you've even in your heart, you have this hatred, this anger at him, you've committed murder. It's, it's spiritual, again, murder. This is the enmity. And oftentimes, Christians will be angry in unforgiving year after year after year after year of their sin. When they continue in that, that's a habitual practice where they're so angry that they wish the worst on someone. Yet the Bible tells us that we're to heap coals, blessings upon our enemy's head. If, if he's in need, provide for him and pray for your enemies. There should be no enemies. There may be boundaries set in, in, to protection so you don't get sucked into something, but but not this hatred, not this anger, not this mental murder, wishing the worst. This is a deed of the flesh. And a person that is angry, so angry like this, is a person who is unforgiving. Unforgiving. 
Now, I think all of us have probably been a point where someone has hurt us so much. We're so angry. We want to just get revenge. I've seen David in the scripture, man. He just wants to punch him. He wants, God, you take their life. It's a little different thing that when we're talking about it in, in the Psalms because when Psalms is speaking, sometimes David is speaking personally and sometimes he's speaking again as a king of the nation. And when he's speaking as a king of the nation, he has that responsibility to bring judgment for the people. He needs to be a righteous judge and he's not taking it on his own. He's asking God to do it. That's something totally different. Please understand that. He has that responsibility. You and I have no responsibility to judge someone else, condemn someone else, or to take someone else's life personally. There's a big difference when you look at it. There's also the word strife or rivalry or discord. It means more than just, a, a, again, a, a difference of opinion. This, these are wranglings. These are debates. They're arguments. And what he's talking about in this context is those who reject creation. Those who simply reject God himself, the truth. These that are false teachers or antichrist. And what they do is they produce strife in this world. Strife that is between the church and the world. Where, the, where we're supposed to be a light and salt, it produces a strife. Sometimes you'll find people within the church like this. They become puppets of Satan, manipulating people. And sometimes, sadly, you find that and their believers are in Christ and, and no one set them down to really talk to them. No one's prayed for them, encouraged them. No one's opened the word to help them understand and we all have that responsibility. That you bring them the truth and they reject it and say, no, I won't believe and, and you have to let them go because they don't want to know the truth. Well, there's a word jealousy in here. It's zeal. It, it's it, it, Godly jealousy is good. God is jealous for you. But this jealousy is wanting to have what others are. It's outburst of temper. It's violent it's filled with anger. In fact, he goes on and, and he talks about the outburst of anger or, or wrath. And, and these really, they're all connected in some way. When you find one of them deeply rooted, you're going to find almost every single one connected in some way. And bottom line is they reject the truth of who Jesus Christ is. They reject really what he's saying, that these things are detrimental for your walk. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The worst thing, I think, one of the worst things as a believer is for a, a believer to, to be unloving and be unforgiving. Again, when we talk about strife, going back just for a second, it, it really is a confusion, really, in everything that God is doing. That when strife comes in, and, and like I said, these are all linked, it, 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 it just draws confusion away, and the focus is no longer on Christ, it's focused upon a, a situation, you'll recognize these things. You'll recognize when these thoughts are coming to mind, is this, is this needful? Is it necessary? Is it helpful? Will it bring glory to God? Well, there's seditions that come, that really the term comes from really uh, means a, a split in, in two pieces. It's a rebellion that just goes against authority. There's heresies. That's moral heresies, they're doctrinal heresies. These are oftentimes taught by false teachers. But so often, I found people that just reject the truth of God's word. And when I find people rejecting the truth of God's word, I find them very unbalanced. We need to know God's word. We need to learn to rightly divide God's word. And it's so important. Well, there's envies, expressing feelings of ill and caused by wrongly desiring to have something belongs to someone else. See how close these are? And the reason that, that, that we see them, they're so close because these are very serious to the Lord. That if you or I are walking in any one of these and practicing any one of these things from, from time to time, this is not a light unto the world. This is not having a 
preserving effect in our community and our relationships. This is what one of the things that grieves, and we talked about that last week, grieving the very heart of God. It, it, it just amazes me that you and I, and I know we do, can grieve God because we're out of plumb. Well, look with me in verse 21a. I'm gonna jump back to 21a and it says, these are social sins. Well, it's carousing is this first thing, referring to drunkenness. Now understand, it doesn't matter whether you're private, you you drink at home and you get drunk and you pass out. Be not drunk, but be filled with the spirit. That idea is don't let anything control you other than the spirit of God. When a person's drunk, they're under the influence of the alcohol, not the spirit. Drunkenness, again, is any alcoholic drink, anything. I know it says drunkenness, but that's what drugs does. Our lives should be a blessing to this community. Our lives should have a preservative effect on the relationships around us in this church, in this community. Again, notice as he says again, all things like these showing that there's more sins than this. He's saying, look, you've got the drift. This is the lifestyle. If you practice such things or habitually continue in this lifestyle, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I think we should welcome anyone that comes through these doors, but our life should have effect upon them. The word of God is being taught. The spirit of God will take the word of God and, and convict that person. Again, in 21b, it it talks about it, that there's judgment for these works, those who practice such things. Now, remember that the teachers were false teachers, the Judaizers are teaching again that, that again, that Paul was teaching a easy grace. Today, they talk about easy believerism. Just say a sinner's prayer. But here, Paul is very clear in what he's saying. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God because it's a moral issue. It's a spiritual issue. And they were trying to find grounds to attack him. Paul always exhorted the people to act like saints, set apart for God, to walk in holiness as Jesus walked in. Ephesians 5.3 says, but in morality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as proper among the saints. Again, immorality, impurity, and greed. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he's talking about a lifestyle. What is my lifestyle about? Is it about Christ? Is it focused upon Christ? Am I seeking his kingdom, his righteousness, and knowing that God's gonna take care of all things? What's the greatest need that anyone has today? Besides salvation, I think it's peace. The moment you're born again, okay, you, you've made peace with God. You were enemies, but you're now at peace with him. But I need peace. That God is on the throne and God's in control. That I don't need to worry about tomorrow that God's in control. I don't need to, to worry what Satan is doing that I can sleep, that I can have perfect peace, I can go on with my life. Well, let's look at the fruit of the Spirit. Verses 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, and we said that's singular, and then joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control against such things, there is no law. Paul lists, again, those things that are evident of a person that's walking in the Spirit. Again, look at him again. It's love. It's it's simply love. And this is how love manifests itself, as joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he says, against such things, there is... No law. No law against love. I'm going to put it that way. 
But it's, it's notice connecty because it starts with that word but. But shows, it's a contrast. This is a contrast to the works of the flesh with the fruit of the spirit. The works, understand this, this is important. Works focus upon or their source is self. These works, it's something that you do on your own power. Fruit originates from the spirit. Fruit, again, originates, this is important to understand, with the spirit. Think of fruit. When fruit is growing on a a tree, it just hangs in there. Again, we water it. The fruit doesn't do anything. It's, it's watered, it's fed. It just draws its nourishment and it just hangs in there. And, and it, for you and me, that's what we do. We're not working to be better. We're just hanging in. Hanging in Christ. Hanging out in the fellowship. Hanging out in the word. We're just drawing all the resources from him. We're not working to be good. You can't work to be good. That's only a band-aid that will come off. So he contrasted again, the works is a, the source is really from self, but the fruit is really of the spirit. Works manifest what the person does, but the fruit declares what man is. Well, you're either of the deeds of the flesh, that, that's what man is, or, or again, God. Works show the conduct, but the fruit reveals the character. What kind of fruit is in your life? Because that will really show you the character, how you're growing in, in the love and grace of Jesus Christ. That's so important. Works emphasizes, again, this is important to understand, it, it emphasizes on doing, but the fruit stresses on just being. I like that, just being, just resting, just trusting, just continuing in the word and letting God work in you. Now, I'm not gonna ask you to hold your hand up because I don't wanna see have you really changed yourself? Or is it the Spirit of God that's changed you? It's the Spirit of God that, that when we yield to, that changes us from the inside out. Being that we're in that new covenant, he writes on the tablets of our heart, he, he changes, the Spirit takes that word of God and, and, and transforms us and changes us. Again, the, the fruit is, it, it's singular. It, it, it's it's not plural. It's not nine fruits. It's one fruit. And if a believer is walking in the Spirit, he possesses all of these nine qualities. When you're walking, truly, when you're walking in the Spirit, you're walking in love, all of these things show up in our life. And that's why he says, if you do this, you will not satisfy the deeds of the flesh. And that's important to understand. So what is the source again? John 15, verse four and five. Abide in me and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. And in verse five, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches and he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, the person that is full of fruit is a person that's abiding in Christ. It's a person that's hanging in. It's a person that's drawing. It's a person that's in the word. I can tell a person who's in the word, that's reading the word, thinking and meditating because their life is changing. Day by day, they're becoming more and more like Jesus. That's all we do is we, we begin to turn to Jesus. And it's very important that we just turn to him, we get in his word, we look to him, we trust him, it's so important. So the Christian's really not the source of the fruit, but it's, it's really, again, we're just the channel. We're just the vessel. God's love flows through us. Now, Philippians says in 121, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This was the life that Paul was living. Notice again, he says, it's not on the screen. I know, for me, for to me, to live is Christ. That was his goal, to live as Christ lived. He wanted to think as Christ and walk as Christ. He wanted to breathe as Christ. Just as Christ went about his, his father's work, Paul wanted to go about Christ's work. He saw himself as a, a steward. And this is where he would find his greatest joy, his greatest peace. 
And we see the fruit when we look at Paul's life. We see the fruit of the Spirit in him. Well, let's look at the fruit again. There's three major categories. And the first one is inward. Inward. God is love. Therefore, he loves, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You know that verse. God, because he's love, has to love. If you're walking in the spirit, you will have to love someone. You'll have to go out of your way. You'll, you'll have to live sacrificially to minister someone, to, to give yourself away to deny yourself in some way that, that Christ would be seen. A person who is walking in the Spirit cannot do anything but love. That means if your boss just blows up that you will be lovingly quiet and patient and pray for him and pray for wisdom. That you won't be reacting as, as those deeds of the flesh are. Again, 1 John chapter 4 says this, Beloved, let, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God for God is love. That's the mark of a believer. And when you and I, again, as believers, those who are in Christ, abiding in him, we will walk in the spirit and that love is manifested in our lives. Again, Luke 6, 32 says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. That means for you and me, we've mentioned before, that we're to love the unloving. Anyone been hurt this week? Anyone been mocked this week? Anyone been spit on, attacked? Did you pray for them? Did you love them? Love means that you're bringing them even before God and say, God, would you bless them? God, would you make your presence known? God, would you touch them? God, would you give me wisdom how to treat them? Would you help me be kind and gentle? Because I know that's your love. God, stifle me in those areas that would prevent me from being unloving. Luke 6, 35 and 36 says, but love your enemies. Do you no, don't hold your hands up. You don't have enemies, I know that. But, but if, you, if you did have enemies, but love your enemies and, and do good and lend to them, expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he himself is kind to the ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. I'm gonna add the word to you. Isn't he merciful to you and me? You know, we need to love the unloving. We need to be praying for salvation within our country of, of the leaders, that their focus would be one focus only, that it would be upon Christ. And if things don't go the way that we want them, that we can still love. And we can still pray, and we can still bring our concerns before God. Ephesians 5.2 says this, walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself for us, an offering, a sacrifice to God, a fragrant aroma. That means love, and I'm not going to build on the whole thing. Love is really sacrificial. That means to love someone, you know that if you're married, it will cost you. It means you deny yourself in some way, doesn't it? It means you give up your rights in some way. If we're to walk in love, then we, in, in some way, will live sacrificially in order to love someone else. It's, it's gonna cost us time. It's gonna cost us money. It's gonna cost us pride. That's a big one, isn't it? More than money, even pride. But that's love. Love denies itself and must love. John 13, 35 says this, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. That's the body of Christ. This is not just within Calvary Chapel. This is every church in town, every believer. That you love them, even though there may be difference in views, 
different understandings of the scripture that, that if they love Jesus Christ, first of all, we're gonna love them as a brother and sister. We're gonna love them. We're gonna accept there's differences and we're not going to argue over non-essentials. We're not going to look down upon them. We're gonna trust God to work out those details. Again, verse 35 says, by this you'll know, will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So that means to love within the body of Christ as well as our enemies. Hebrews 12, two gives us another thought. Referring to Christ, it says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. This is talking about joy. This is what fruit does. It produces a joy. Jesus sought a joy to go and die on the cross for you. Isn't that incredible? That he would go to the cross and he would find great joy dying for you. That's amazing. But he did. That's the joy that we have. It's knowing that God uses all things for the good. There's also a peace. A peace of God that rules the heart, a spirit-controlled life. Peace. Colossians 3.15 says this, let peace of Christ rule your heart. See, when a person's walking in the spirit, they're letting again the peace of Christ rule their hearts. Making the decisions and guiding them and directing them. That's so important that he is in control and we're not in control. And Philippians 4, 7 says, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is supernatural. And Jesus went ahead and said in John 14, 27, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give. Do not let your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful. Peace comes from God. It, it is a fruit of God. Well, there's the outward aspect. That's patience. That means that wrath is put far away from you. That that, that person means that he needs to, again, leave vengeance for the Lord. That we don't have to take the wrath. We don't have to judge. We don't have to judge another man's servant. In fact, the scripture makes clear, do not judge another man's servant. And then Colossians 3.13 says this, Bear with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should forgive one another. This is what love does. It bears with one another. It's hard to bear with one another, isn't it, sometimes? I get tired of, you know, come on, grow up. Put your big boy panties on. You know how we can be, right, sometimes? Am I the only one like that? Do you guys have those struggles? I mean, you don't hear it coming from us, but if you really look at your own heart, we all have those struggles. And that's an indicator I'm not in the spirit when I have those thoughts, right? Love is kind. A kindness. You know what that is? That's grace and action. Unmerited favor. They deserve to be crushed, but you're kind. Romans 2 4 says this, or do you not think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Aren't you so thankful for God's kindness that leads us to repentance? You know, your kindness can be the kindness of God that leads someone to repentance. When a person is so mean, so nasty, and, and whatever they are, and you're just kind to them, you're loving to them, and that person comes back and says, you know what, I, I don't understand this. There's something different about you. And you tell them what Jesus has done. And there's, of course, goodness. It's quite similar to kindness. But goodness hates evil. It refrains from doing it. Have you ever prayed to hate evil? Come on, be honest. Anyone ever prayed to, pray to hate evil? We need to pray that we would hate it if we hate it we wouldn't find enjoyment and pleasure watching it. What is evil in the sight of God? Take time, study it. Well, goodness also is one that demonstrates, again, generosity and benevolence to people. It reaches out to people. Well, upward aspects is faithfulness. Faithfulness simply believes in God. Now, God is the one that makes you faithful. 
you understand that. But what it means is you simply take God at his word. If God said it, it's enough. Now, some people say, well, that's very flippant. But no, in our hearts, if God said it, it's enough because God does not lie. God is love. God is a rewarder of those who, what? Diligently seek him. So we trust. Gentleness, meekness. It's not weakness as as so often the world thinks. It's really power under control. And I love this. In Matthew 11, 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for my souls. Jesus is a perfect example again. And this is so important to understand of, of meekness and humility. Self-control doesn't refer to, to moderation and drink. No, it, it's not talking about, but rather it's synonymous with self-control in, in the sense of, of really being disciplined, putting yourself over to God. See, here's the key I want you to think about for a second. It's these passages are to, only in here to help you recognize where are you on your walk in Jesus Christ? Where are you in that walk? Are you in that place that you want to be? Are you in that place that you're walking in the spirit? These are like for a spiritual thermometer. How am I doing as a Christian? Am I more like Christ than ever before? Well, the only way that you can do it, again, is John 15, three to five. Let me read. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in me, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. 